Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humans of AI. I'm your host, Sheikh Shuvo. And today we'll be learning about the people that are building the tech that's changing our world. Today, I'm excited to share with you Helen Byrne, who is VP of Solution Architecture at GraphCore. GraphCore is a UK-based company that designs and manufactures IPUs, or intelligence processing units for AI applications. This is specialized hardware solutions that rapidly increase the efficiency of machine learning tasks. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, Helen. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. Now, a very first question I have for you is, uh, how would you describe your role to a five-year-old? I find that question's funny because I feel like I'm constantly trying to do this with my friends and family. <laughs> in AI, trying to describe what I do. So, friends um, and families and mothers. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, GraphCore, I mean, you just explained what GraphCore does, but GraphCore has designed a brand new processor for AI. So, instead of using your laptop to run your AI model, you can use a processor that's been specially designed to run those algorithms efficiently. Um, and my role within GraphCore is the kind of interface with the users of our processors. So, I help our users to port their models and optimize their models to run well on GraphCore's hardware with our software. So I'm kind of at the intersection of the, the hardware, software, and the models, the applications. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. I'd say that that would be a very advanced five-year-old, but oh, good start. It's really <laughs> hard to describe at that yeah, level. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I need to keep working on that. Well, along though those lines, can you walk us through what a typical day in your life looks like? Sure. So I guess it's different day to day, but I spend quite a lot of my time meeting um, yeah, users of graphical technology. So whether that's people that are accessing IPUs in the cloud or whether they've bought IPUs that they're running from their data center. And I work with them to, first of all, kind of understand what their model is. So if they're running LLMs and what is the application that they're trying to run, I understand how best we can get their model running efficiently. So yeah, I have to kind of get into the, the depths of what is the actual model architecture that they're running and what is the software that they're using. Then I try and help them. So that's kind of, I guess, more of the discussion level. So I I meet a lot of people. I try and understand Mm -hmm. what their problems are, where their bottlenecks, compute bottlenecks are. And then in terms of the kind of coding side, application building side, we get, so a customer, an end user might share with us a proxy model that they're interested in or an open source model like Llama. Two, for example, and say, I want to run this model and I've got this data. Can you help me? Or they'll say, I've, I've, I've tried to run this and it's a bit slow. Can you help me speed it up? So then I spend my time, yeah, just helping them to, to run their models efficiently, whether it's training or inference, whatever their problem is. And yeah, so then I spend a small part of my time traveling. Well, a large part of my time at the moment. <laughs> Traveling, speaking at conferences and events, kind of evangelizing, just using IPUs, and yeah, that's it. Sounds like you're you're a full time detective most of the time. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love. (laughs) Nice, awesome. Well, one one really interesting thing I saw about your background is you actually started your career as a maths teacher at a London nonprofit, Teach First. For from those days, what? motivated you to pursue your current career path? Yeah. Yeah. So I had quite a, a, a an interesting, I guess, diverse, different background, maybe to some more kind of linear projections into this role. So yes, I I did a maths undergrad, maths in, a, in American. Thank you for the translation. 
I get pulled up on that. <laughs> so I did mathematics undergrad. I then didn't really know what I wanted to do. And there's a teaching program called Teach First that we have here that was actually built off an American program called Teach for America. And it's a way to get graduates to teaching might not necessarily have thought about going into teaching. And it's at schools that are have kind of a need for teachers. They might have not great results, whatever that metric is. And they might be in an area of poverty. There's a few different metrics for what, what, what the school might look like. So I did that because I was kind of not really sure what I wanted to do. And it sounded interesting. And it was two, you, you have to commit to two years. So I became a maths teacher at high school, secondary school for two for, well, I actually ended up doing three years. And then a lot of, at the time when I did this, 50% of teachers that did this actually stayed on in teaching. So it's a good way of getting people into teaching, basically. I didn't stay, I left. It was, I'm glad I did it. It was the hardest job I've ever done. I take my hat off to teachers. It's really a challenging job. A lot of pastoral care and yeah. everything else that goes with it. Anyway, so I kind of decided I didn't want to continue doing that forever and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I actually then went completely the other direction and went into a kind of banking job and mm-hmm. uh, working at a fintech in London, doing a kind of technical quantity role within a sales team there. And I enjoyed bits of that. But I actually decided I didn't really like the finance industry. It wasn't really for me. And then I left. Yeah, I've done a bit of everything. I then did a master in AI because I was very interested. I decided I was interested in tech. Yeah. So I'm going to do this master. Did this master. Then when I worked in research in AI. And I was really lucky with GraphCore. So I, I actually found I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at this point. And I met one of the co-founders here at GraphCore and, and a number of the people here at GraphCore. When I came to interview here... And it was the first time I'd, I felt like they were, saw that the fact that I had all these diverse experiences was a positive yeah. rather than you're not really sure what you want to do. Like I'd, I'd seen that some people found it was a negative. And for the first time I had this really great experience here where I met a lot of the people and I really, I remember those conversations and, and, and awesome. they, they were really happy that I'd done all these weird diverse things and, and thought it would be a positive for me. So yeah, then I, Ended up joining GraphCore. I've been here now five and a half years. Nice. Well, non-linear paths are always the, the the best. If it makes you feel any better, I started my career at a baby food company. So things have come full circle. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, uh, I, yeah. I, I look at that in my team as well. I yeah. think it really adds value that we have people that coming in from different backgrounds. They've done different things. They did different undergrads. It's just... It's, it's it adds value. Well, along those those lines, uh, talking about the the team that that you have outside of technical prowess, could you talk a little bit more about the types of things you look for as you're recruiting? Things on the softer skills, any types of filtering questions you you like to ask, things like that. So generally, yeah. So diversity actually is really important. So we have people in the team and I look for different skills within the team and that's at the technical level and other. So at the technical kind of software level, we we have kind of C++ level experts. We have AI modeling level experts. We have, you know, everything in between. We have systems engineering. So it's great to have people with with different skills on the technical side. In addition to that, I think... Being able to communicate is really important in our team because we end up speaking to the customers a lot. We also speak to a lot of the different teams. It's very important Mm. for us to be able to work with the kind of core software developers and, and, and make sure that they know 
what are the what is the feedback that's coming in and what do we think is the priority what is the priority on on different software features we also need to work with the kind of marketing team and, and make sure that we're putting out the right kind of message that that the end users are going to see and then we have to work with our product team and so it's the communication side is is really quite important for our job as well as being technically sound as well absolutely and with uh, with talking with so many developers on on the evangelism side there's obviously lots of companies and products competing for people's attention there what are some of the communication strategies that you found working with technical audiences that work better than others it's so great when you can meet the developers face to face you just get so much more information from them rather, mm-hmm. rather than trying to do something virtually so if possible go and attend events i love research conferences so i really like going to those and just meeting people speaking to them going to the workshops and finding out what people are working on what they're interested in what are their problems the face-to-face nothing compares to to i think the, the level of information you can get from meeting people face-to-face we try and go to meetups there's, you know, meetups are great. There's loads of really interesting ones in, in. I mean, there's even even more in uh, in the US, but there's a lot of them, a lot of great meetups over here. So yeah, any chance you can get. There's a lot of great virtual stuff online yeah. as well, but I don't get as much. Yeah, I don't. I don't find them as 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 valuable. I think people don't kind of give you exactly what they what they think necessarily. They sometimes hold back a bit, and you don't get quite as much. Do you have any particular conferences coming up the rest of the year that you'd recommend people check out? So NeurIPS is the kind of biggest AI research conference, which happens in December every year. Um, it's in I think New it's in New Orleans this year too. Should be a fun one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That that's always great. It's big and it's it's a week, basically, if you go to the workshops as well. So it's kind of a lot. But yeah, the the kind of interactions that you have there are just really valuable obviously you get to see all the research and you get to actually talk to people and ask them questions about it you just get a good kind of yeah overall like high level understanding and and you get the deeper conversations as well so yeah NERPS is probably the the big one that's left this year yeah yeah on on the research side it seems like there are like a thousand groundbreaking papers published every week right right now what are some of the habits you've developed to stay on top of things and find out which ones are actually important for your day-to-day? Yeah, good question. So I, I I used to, when I worked in research, I used to go onto the archive website every day and, and just trawl through all of the new papers and check that I've not missed anything. And you still missed things. Now I, I just don't have the time to do that and I'm because I'm not working in that in that space directly anymore. So I use a lot of blogs and a lot of kind of Twitter accounts, even LinkedIn. I follow some people on Twitter, LinkedIn, who are kind of, yeah, right on the kind of pulse of, of research and, and blogs that, that I've, I've had lots and lots of blogs, but yeah, that, I mean, there's one called Davis or Davis Burlock from Mosaic ML. He posts kind of a, a, a roundup of top papers. There's one called Alpha Signal, which is a roundup of top papers. And I just keep an eye on, on, on what people are kind of talking about, really. You also notice now, it's it, it happens so quickly that a paper will come out, and within a few months, that technique is now being used in all of the new models that are being published. So you can see that really quick transition from research to actually 
being used and, and, and being used everywhere, ubiquitous. Something like MQ, like multi query attention, group query attention, flash mm. attention, these kind of techniques. They came out and then they were just used very quickly, kind of absorbed into all future models that are released. Well, now, for, uh, for someone who's just finishing school right now, who's, say, has a, a master's in computer science with a AI focus there, who's excited about exploring the world of AI, but not sure where to start? What type of role or what type of company would you suggest they uh, they start with? So there are lots of amazing online free kind of courses and things that they should probably have a look at as well, like Coursera and, and the others and, and the Kaggle competitions, just to get, if, if they've not done the machine learning or kind of built a machine learning application of some kind, they should probably have a go at that, practice that play around with that, play around with the data sets that are available. But yeah, I, I, there are some, I mean, there's a huge, we're, 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 there's huge demand for, for that role. And so I think if you're willing to just take on a, an internship at any of the startups or, or larger companies that are, that are trying to, to find ML engineers, just if, if you're, if you haven't got lots of experience, you can go into a team and, and, you know, start on as a as a graduate or whatever the description of the role is and just you'll learn so much in a real environment in industry i think you you pick up it's great to do the courses and i i think it's good to have the foundation and have played around with things because you mm -hmm. probably need that to get the job in the first place you need to be able oh. to say something but then the the amount that you learn actually building something real in industry or maybe it's not an industry in academia, wherever you get that first job, it's like a huge step step change in terms of how much you're actually getting from it. So I would just, yeah, apply for, for a lot of those kind of roles and, and you'll learn a lot. Looking at your own background there, when you made the jump from finishing up your research days to jumping into industry again, what were some of the things that surprised you if any at all? I guess... The interesting thing, and it's kind of good and bad. Well, I enjoy it and I, and I miss the, the researchy side is you actually see what people are really doing, practically doing rather than playing around with yeah. as kind of toys, to toy models, which are actually working with people that are building things that are actually in production or, or, or whatever. And sometimes there, there's quite a difference. There's, there's a delta between this, this kind of research mode and and real industry production. So that was kind of interesting. I missed the not being able to spend a long time thinking about something and maybe too long trying things that didn't necessarily work. Because when you work in on the industry side, you just everything you need to get it implemented and working and and and, and there's you know there's there's shorter deadlines. But I find it really interesting to see things that how things are actually used, you know, rather than just thinking about them. Yeah. The veil has been lifted. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, and, and, and the very last question I have for you, Helen, is uh, if any listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to connect? I guess LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to connect. Cool. I'm I'm on there. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, I'm always at the research events, and <laughs> so you can probably find me there too. Oh, we will find you at NERBS then. Yeah, find me at NERBS. Cool. Well, uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been lots of practical and actionable advice. Thanks a lot. You, if it was useful. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. 
H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 